There are a million ways to make money in the food service industry. You just have to find one. On the Titans of Food Service podcast, I interview real life movers and shakers in the food game who cut through all the noise to get to the top. My name is Nick Portillo and welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Let's jump right into it. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Titans of Food Service podcast. This is season two, episode two. Quick plug. If you missed the season premiere of season two, which would have been my episode last week, make sure to go check it out. It's one of my favorites. I'm also biased because it's with my wife, Carly. We do a co-host. She more of like a host takeover and get a little background on you know, how the the podcast went this last year and so much more. And thank you to everyone who's followed along. 52 episodes, 52 weeks, one year of content. I'm just so, I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of those who helped along the way. Shout out to Seth and Michael, McKenna, Chidani, and Abby for making this dream come true. Really appreciate it. So excited for what's ahead and for the, the conversations that, will ensue hereafter. I'm so excited. Okay, what I wanted to do today is take 10 nuggets that I learned in the last year from doing the podcast episodes from the conversations that were had. These are 10 really pertinent nuggets that I felt like, you know what? These are great. I want to share these. Disclosure, there's hundreds of nuggets. There's thousands of nuggets you can get from the 52 previous episodes or the 52 episodes from season one. These are just 10 that really resonated with me and I felt compelled to share them and give a shout out to a few of the people that few of the guests that were on the Titans of Food Service. Okay, the first one is around follow up. A lot of us listening along are in the sales world. Follow up is an area of improvement for most people. Don't think I'm wrong. I know I'm right on this because I'm also a culprit of bad follow up sometimes. So tip, trick. Here we go. Number one is when it comes to follow-up, most people will will leave a conversation or a sales presentation, or let's say you're at a food show, a customer coming by your booth, they'll follow up maybe later that day, but most likely maybe the next day when, or maybe the end of the week when they get home, or maybe the following week, or just whenever they get around to it. By that time, that conversation has gone stale. You're trying to sell something to somebody or you're trying to build a relationship, or whatever it is, it needs to be important. You know how to look more important? Follow up within five minutes. Yeah, that's right. Follow up within five minutes. Nobody else does it. I've started to do it since I heard this from my conversation on the podcast, and I was like, ooh, that is a game changer. So that when I, let's say I meet somebody at a food show, they come by, they try my products, and then they go to the next table, and then the next table, and then the next one, and so on and so forth. How many conversations do they have? They're probably exhausted by the end. I want my conversation to carry on. I want to stand out. So what I'll do is I'll have the conversation, and when it concludes, they'll walk away, go to the next booth. I'll send them a quick text or a quick email. It takes me no more than 60 to 120 seconds. Uh, just a thank you for coming by. Here's a quick one sentence synopsis of what we talked about. I'll be in touch. So that way, when they go, when they leave my booth and go look down at their phone or go to the, later on when they're all done with the show or when they get back in front of their computer, they see my email at the top of their inbox. Nobody else followed up, 
within five minutes. They're all following up tomorrow and the week and a week later or whenever they get get around to it. Me, I'm already in your inbox. That's five minutes. That's quick. And there's just a, a, a perception towards when someone follows up with you quickly like that, that, hey, I do matter to them and this is important. So really good one. Number two was my conversation with the past CEO of Chartwell, Steve Sweeney. The man has had one heck of a career. He led a very large, very large organization. And so I asked him as a young entrepreneur trying to grow my business, what are what are some advice that he's learned or some maybe an experience share around what he's learned in his career to help grow him and his business? And he talked a lot about taking risks. Now, everybody talks about failure, but the way he, he mentioned it and how the way he said it, he goes, one, you can go out and get a lot of money from an investor and do it that way and then just throw the money into your business and grow. Or what most of us need to do, and he goes, what he recommended is you need to force yourself or someone needs to force you, maybe a boss or maybe an accountability partner, whoever it may, may be, to take big risks. So let me repeat that. You need to force yourself or someone needs to force you to take big risks. And when you do that, you're either going to what? You're going to sink or you're going to swim. But if nothing else, you will learn. There's no losing. It's learning. Don't be more afraid of failure than you are of wanting success. Get comfortable with failure and it will allow you to take on more risk. Amazing. So eloquently said, it resonated so much with me. When I look at my business, a lot of times I may play it safe. I may not want to make the investments or I may not make, want to make a certain move because I'm, I'm afraid of repercussions or I'm afraid that I'll fall flat on my face or I'm afraid that I'll waste money, whatever it may be. But the times that I do take risks, and he's talking about massive risks, like like moving mountains risks. This is big time stuff. But the, the, the risks that I've taken in my career up until this point, eight years, every single time I do it, I learn from the process. I either fail or succeed and just make it a little bit better next time and don't make the same mistakes. And I can see my business growing year over year, which is really profound. Okay, let's go to the next one. Nugget number three. This was a conversation that I had with Scott Embringham and is around artificial intelligence, but he made a quick segue around him and his business. He had a business that was doing about $10 million in revenue. And nearly overnight, his top customers dissolved. Um, I shouldn't say dissolved. They went away from him. And so he went from $10 million in revenue down to nearly zero, and he had just taken on 500000 in debt to help grow his business. It was devastating. So he had a mentor, and the mentor mentioned to him that, hey, Here's your problem. You are not solving enough problems for your customers. Solve more problems. Solve more problems, make more money. Simple. So I took that. I'm like looking at my business. I'm like, okay, I help. When it comes to my manufacturers, we represent them in our markets, California, Nevada, Hawaii. We take we we scale out their sales and marketing efforts, which is great. And we get compensated on that, on those efforts. But by manufacturers, Let's say they're regional sales managers. How can I free up an hour of their day every day? How can I make their lives easier, more efficient? How can I help multiply their efforts? How can I look outside of my markets to build a better life, better quality life and work ex experience for them? In exchange, people are willing to pay money for that. Solve more problems. That's nugget number three. Okay, nugget number four. Nugget number four, nugget number five kind of tie into one another. So I'll start with four. This came from 
my conversation with the vice president and general manager of Giordano's, Patrick Day, great man. Highly recommend that episode. I mean, I highly recommend all these episodes, but this one was really great. He had been a restaurateur, and then he's been in food, food uh, distribution sales, and now, of course, the vice president GM of Giordano's, which is one of the largest broadliners in the country based here in Southern California. Okay, he said, you can't do it all. Even though you want to pay the bills, hire the people, get the vendors, the whole nine yards, as an owner-operator, it's very difficult to do everything. And you have to figure out how to delegate some of that stuff to other people that you trust. So true. I I am a coach for entrepreneurs, for a, a group of entrepreneurs that are anywhere between really 100000 to a $1 million in annualized revenue. And I really like working with this group of people because it takes me back to when I was at that point. I did everything. I was the accounting person. I was the sales team. I was the marketing person. I was the admin. I was the person that goes out to the mailbox, gets the checks, drives them to, to, the, to the bank, deposits them, write it down in my spreadsheet. I was doing it all. And what, what happens? I burn out. I, I, I can only do so much. Valuable lesson there. You can't do it all even though you want to. You have to delegate. Get comfortable. Delegate. Stop doing it all. You're going to burn out. Okay. Which leads into, as I said, nugget number five. This one's around have more meetings. Have more meetings. I think there's there's this bad stigma around having meetings, that they're unproductive or whatever it may be. If you're the, a leader of an organization or a leader of a team, you need to meet more with your team. It helps give them structure as well. It makes them more comfortable within their jobs. And when as you as the leader take on everything and try to be a hero, what happens? I mean, as I mentioned already, I think like three times, burnout for one, okay? Especially if you're an, an entrepreneur or the manager of your team, you are a very important asset to your business. You have to work towards actively taking care of yourself proactively, not reactively when you just burn out and go out of control. And it, because that's not, that's ugly. I do that sometimes. It's not good. So you need to be having more meetings. In these meetings, share, communicate, be transparent. This will help alleviate bottlenecks in communication. My business is a great example of that. The client, a manufacturer client, wants X to be communicated. And then if I just hold that within my own brain, what will happen is it doesn't get communicated to my team. Then the client gets upset that whatever they ask for, it doesn't get completed. And then it's a, it's a, a spiral. So it's important to have more meetings. I know there's a bad stigma around them. Just do it. It's worth the time. Make sure they're productive. I, I personally like using level 10 meetings. You can learn more about that through traction, which is a book. It's the EOS model. Entrepreneur, entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, man, that word sucks. <laughs> entrepreneurial operating system. Traction by Gino Wickman. Highly recommend. Great book. Level 10 meetings. My company uses those as, as do we do in, in all sales one. Okay. Next nugget. This is nugget numero seis, number six. This one came from somebody that I really admire. And I actually met him through the American Heart Association, which is a, an organization that my family supports. And Eric Goodman, he's the president of Mountain View Services. What an incredible human being. When it comes to philanthropic efforts and being involved in your community, he ranks up there in my network of people as 
somebody who's truly making a difference to those around him. So he says, you don't have to write a million dollar check. You just have to find a need in your community and help fill it with the resources you already have. You already, in my case, have a company or in other people's cases, they already have a network of people. You, you already know them. You just need to connect them together. Volunteer your time. If you want to donate money, make it a small amount. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. Just do something. Get involved. When I get involved with the American Heart Association, I I feel so fulfilled. I feel so incredible after that, that I'm living a life that's bigger than just me, that I'm helping others in need in my community. And hopefully in return for the American Heart Association, you know, it helps lead towards bigger advancements in the medical world and helping people live a better, more quality life. So really good nugget there. Going back to the sales process. This is nugget number seven. This came up from a conversation with Brian Will. Brian Will is a multimillionaire. Uh, he's a restaurant owner and a very successful entrepreneur who, who's had multiple exits from multiple companies. He says, you have to overcome objections before the client even has them, not at the end of the sales process. If you're overcoming an objection at the end of the sales process, you've already lost the customer. Instead, overcome the objections during the fact-finding process so that when it comes to the close, the customer has already closed themselves. Woo. For those of us in the sales world, we're all in sales. Okay, we're always selling ourselves to, to others. That's just the nature of being a human being. So in a traditional sales role, you are given objections and usually the same objections across all the customers that you, you visit. It might be a variation of two or three, maybe up to five. Learn what those, those are, get comfortable overcoming those objections and be forthright in them in the sales process. Maybe that person doesn't have enough, isn't the decision maker, or maybe they they don't have enough time, or I don't even know. I'm just throwing this stuff out there. You know your objections of whatever that may be. Maybe the person is price sensitive or they're quality driven or I don't know, whatever it may be, or they only want to buy products that are made in, in the state that they live in. It could be anything. Think about what those common objections are, practice them, and address them early on in the sales process, as Brian is saying. Don't wait until the end. Don't make your presentation and then overcome the objection. Make the Overcome the objections throughout the entire process so that, so that at the end, the customer just closes themselves. Pretty good stuff. Okay, moving on to the next one. This is the beginning of a sales presentation. I took a, a really good nugget from the president of Outshine Public Relations, Talia Samuels. Before she even presents ideas, and uh, makes a formal proposal to her clients. She'll go in, she won't even bring any collateral. She sits down with them and just listens, ask questions, be curious. Kind of like this podcast, gotta be curious, ask questions. And just go through and, and determine what your client or customer, whatever you wanna call them, is looking for. And then you can come back. It's honestly a good way to overcome objections as well because you're, you're, <laughs> you're getting exact feedback from your potential customer or client of what they're looking for. Then you can come back with a solution to help solve their problems. Solve more problems. Solve more problems. Said it like five times. Okay, moving on to the next nugget. This one here blew my mind. And it's because of the amount of times that I heard it across restaurant tours. In my conversations with restaurant owners, chains, or even the general manager of the French Laundry, Nicolas Venucci, it was very apparent to me 
that food quality is one thing, but they were more focused on the guest experience. That's right, the guest experience. I took a quote from uh, Guy Rigby, who was the head of the the vice president of food and beverage for the for the Four Seasons in North America. And he says, it doesn't really matter in our business what department you're running. If you exist to serve both those that serve our guests and our guests, you're going to be in great shape. So taking care of your team and taking care of the guest. These people, the restaurateurs, were so hyper-focused on the atmosphere, the guest experience, because that's a way to drive recurring revenue, having that customer come back over and over and over again, having them tell their the people within their network that, hey, you should go here. Think about when you want to buy something. When you have social proof, when you have a friend or a colleague or somebody that you trust to say, yeah, this is a good thing. You should go do it. Or you should go eat here. I loved it. In order to this, that already plants the seed in somebody else's mind that, hey, you know what? I need to go do that. Now, when that guest doesn't have a good experience, they could say to somebody, don't go there, the food sucks, or I waited too long, or the staff isn't friendly, or it's dirty, whatever it may be. And now you not only lost that customer or that guest who was there that day, but now they've, they've started a web of negativity and sharing with the people within their network. And those people may never, ever, ever come into your restaurant because of that or work with you as a company. Okay, moving on to the next one. This is nugget number 10. This comes from Paul Bresenden. I love Paul. He's such a good man. He's the president of 454 Creative. He says, if you're looking for an edge over the other guy, you're always going to be in that conversation of proving yourself. But if you can redefine that category or your category, then you're somewhere else. And that's where I would focus my efforts. What kind of substantially different offering can I provide? Yes, we do these other things, Mr. Mrs. Customer that you're used to, but it elevates us into a completely different category. So again, if you can redefine your category, then you're somewhere else. And that's where you should focus your efforts. Be different. There's When I interview for a new manufacturer client, the amount of times that I hear a broker give the pitch that we are operator-focused and distributor-friendly, everybody says that. I want to be different than that. How can I stand out and offer something that's completely different and show to the, the potential client that, hey, we are in running in a completely different channel. Yes, we, we take care of the normal day-to-day, what I call blocking and tackling, but we're also in this other lane here that you're not seeing that you need to be a part of that's important for your business. So those are the top 10 nuggets. Thank you everyone for listening along. It's going to be a great season two. I'm so excited. So much growth, so much to learn, so many incredible conversations upcoming. I really think you, the listener, following along. Let's go ahead, finish up 2023 strong, make 2024 even better. Thank you for listening. I'm out.